Okay, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Romans. We're going to go right to the scriptures. And I periodically like to share this, and this is important. As far as Pottstown Bible Church is concerned, the Bible is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. And in a world we are living in today, nothing is more important than for you to feed on the nectar of the Word of God with all of the stuff that the devil's trying to do to get you away from the Word. Secondly, the ministries here are subordinate and underneath the Word of God. That is the top. And everything that we do is an outflowing of the Word of God, whether it's the feeding ministry, whatever. But nothing trumps the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And so that's important, and I like to bring that out periodically because it is, the Word is not underneath everything. It is above. It is God speaking to us through His Zoe, His life-giving Word. So with that said, we're going to go into Romans chapter 5. Now we're going to do verses 10 through 15. I want to encourage you to follow along in your personal Bible or on the overhead. You around the world, we have it both ways. So let's, let's read Romans 5, Paul's letter, to a church in Rome that wasn't much bigger than this church. Verses 10 through 15. For if while we were enemies... Now make sure you look at that. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? Through the death of His Son. That's how we were reconciled. Much more. Here's your superlative, guys. Much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Not a prophet's life. His life. The Son of God's life. Not only this, but we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all, not some, all have sinned. For until the law, the namas, the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift, say free gift. The free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of God, the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Amen. So in our last time in the book of Romans, we looked at verses 8 through 11. So now we're going to continue moving forward. I want to kind of recap a little bit of verse 10. You can follow along slide 3. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And the NLT puts it this way. 
For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. I mean, there's the gospel just packed right in there for you. While we were the without strength, church, dead in our sins, ungodly sinners, enemies of the cross, that was our position in God's eyes. If you remember from last week's teaching, we see that word enemies there. The Greek word is ekthros. Slide four. What does that word mean? It means active hostility, hateful, an adversary. So the sinner cannot be said to be a friend of God because he opposes what God stands for. In slide five, we looked at how's that happen? Rebelling against God, rejecting God, cursing God, ignoring God, disobeying God, fighting against God and denying God. Have any of us ever practiced, or do we still practice some of those behaviors? And we looked at how God initiates this change in the sinner's status from dead in the sins, rebelling, rejecting, cursing, ignoring, disobeying, fighting, and denying. We see how God initiates this change. He says, we were reconciled to God. And the way that happened, the verse tells us, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. So that word reconciliation, the Greek word is katalasso. What does that word mean? It means to change. It has the idea of these two parties having a change of attitude towards each other. A change from enemies to friends. There is a change in the relationship between God and man. The katalasso. Listen, church, and I said this last week, every aspect, every part of a person's conversion, every part of a person's newly transformed life is accomplished only one way, and that is through God's sovereign will. It doesn't happen any other way. I want to share with you once more what John MacArthur says about this, slide 7. Reconciliation is not something man does, but what he receives. Don't forget that. It is not what he, the man, accomplishes, but what he, the man, embraces. Reconciliation does not happen when a man decides to stop rejecting God, but when God decides to stop rejecting man. Ooh. It is a divine provision by which God's holy displeasure against alienated sinners, that's us, is appeased. His hostility against them removed. A harmonious relationship between him and them is then established. Has that happened in your life? Reconciliation occurs because God was graciously willing to design a way to have all the sins of those who are his removed from them. That should excite you. I don't deserve that, do you? That should excite all of us. Look at slide eight. Namely that God was in Christ, katalasso, reconciling, restoring the relationship, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I want to take a moment and look at one of the most awesome verses of Scripture. Look at slide 9 and 10. It's corollary Scripture. Therefore, he is able also to save how long? Do you see an expiration date on that? I don't. He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. That's Christ. Since he always lives. Now look at this verse. I don't know how anybody can think you can lose your salvation. Just look at the text. He always lives to make intercession for them. God doesn't stop. There's no expiration date on that church. Verse 26, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, he's talking about Jesus, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. That's our Jesus. Verse 27, Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the sins of the people? He's talking about the priest back then. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. I like Look at how the NLT puts it. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. That's through Christ. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy, blameless, unstained by sin, set apart from sinners, has been given the highest place of honor in the heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. That's what they did back in the Old Testament. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did it once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. Hear me this morning. This text here, underline it, highlight it. Why? It, it, it clearly explains why a true believer in Christ can never lose his salvation. You can't. Don't let any false prophet tell you that you can fall from grace because this is telling the truth and that person is lying to you. Here's McArthur one more time, slide 11. The reason we do not fall away, the reason we don't abandon faith, the reason we do not deny Christ, the reason we do not lose our salvation is because we have a living, interceding high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. We were reconciled, you might say, by a dead Christ when he died on the cross, we are kept reconciled by a living Christ, whoever lives to secure us into eternal glory. Amen? As the text clearly says, he is able. Church, he is able. The Old Testament priests could not save anyone. Pastors can't save you. The animal sacrifice that they made back prior to this was only a temporary covering for sin. But unlike them, Jesus, who is our great high priest, is not only willing, but he is able, as this verse says, to save forever. I want you to see that word intercession. 
slide 12. Greek word is intunkano. What does that word intercession mean? What, what, what did he mean when he said that word? Let's not get wrapped up in stuff. Let, let's understand it. The intercession he's speaking of here means to intervene on behalf of others or come between so as to prevent or alter a result or course of events. That's what Jesus did and continues to do for us because we could never keep ourselves saved in our own, on our own in, our, in the first place. He interceded for us. Altered the results when you come to a saving faith in Him. God takes, church, you and myself who are sinners. Listen, He declares us to be righteous in His sight. God the Father pronounces that He has nothing against us. God has already decided our fate and our destiny and our justification. The judgment against you and I was carried out on that cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago for the believer. Slide 13. Do we yet understand how incredible and amazing justification is? Do we understand the love that God has for you and I? How did he reconcile all of us to himself? Well, as we've learned, he does not credit our sins to our own account. But the law demands that a punishment must be handed down. We have sinned against God. That's the starting point. Coming clean with God. We have all sinned against God. Every one of us has broken God's law. And until we understand that, you know, oh, I'm not that so bad of a person. Have you ever told a lie? I have. Have you? What do we call a person that tells a lie? We call him a what? A liar. Have we ever taken something, doesn't matter how inexpensive it was or is, from somebody that did not belong to us? When somebody steals, we call them a what? Thief. Right? Have we ever used God's name as a cuss word? Oh, it's getting quiet now, Dr. Carter. Well, then, by our own mouth, we are lying, thieving, blasphemers, and that's only three of the Ten Commandments. So if God was to judge us on Judgment Day, would we be guilty or innocent? I'd be guilty. How about you? So, the law demands that a punishment must be handed down, even on our courts today. The law demands justice. But God does something. Remember the but God, right? Nunitheos. He imputes, credits all of our sin, and places it in Christ's accounts. Look at verse four, slide 14 to 15. He made him, the Father made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And slide 15 says, God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So what did Jesus do for you and I? He endured the shame and the suffering on the cross for us. And by the way, that was capital punishment back in that day. One of the most horrible, humiliating things is to be naked on a nail to a cross for an offense. No wonder Paul continues with, in Romans 5.10, much more than. 
for those who have been sadly taught that we can lose our salvation, we can claim the words of Christ. Look at slides 16, 17, and 18. John 10, 28. Jesus says this. And you can highlight this in your Bible if somebody tries to say, well, you can lose your salvation. No. I give. Not the priest, the prophet, the pastor. Jesus says, I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. And no one will what? Snatch them out of my hand. I don't know if anybody's hands are bigger than, than God's hands. How about Romans 5.11? Not only this, but we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, the bringing of the two parties together. And slide 18 for Romans 5.11. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. So look at slide 19. So this word exalt. Okay, Paul, what did you mean when you said it? Why are you and I to exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, the Greek word used here is kokome. What does this word exalt mean? It means to boast or rejoice, to show great delight. In fact, the old French word, or your Latin, the word there is the word rejoice. It has the idea of this great ha happiness. Noah Webster's oldest dictionary, 1828, defines to shout or be excited. So to exalt, we should be shouting with excitement. There should be joy and happiness and delight in all of us. Is that true about us? Do we act like that? Think about the things that we derive great happiness from, joy from, that excites us in our flesh. Slide 20. People will shout with joy when their favorite team wins a game. Yeah. They'll go out and buy spray-painted green shirts with letters on them. Yay! They'll shout with joy when they get a promotion at work or win a lottery or they'll shout for joy when they get a pay raise. They'll shout for joy when they get a new home or car. But what about Jesus? Do we show the same excitement for what he's done for us that we do there? Do we shout for joy, slide 21, because of who Christ is and what he's done for us? Do we have great happiness in our relationship with him? Are you happy with your relationship with Jesus? Even when he doesn't do what you say. Do we look forward to talking from, with him, hearing from him? When we sung our worship songs to him this morning in past weeks, do we really mean it when we claim those words? Or are we just going through the motions? Oh, see, relationships require an investment of your time, talent, and treasure. People will spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on tickets out of a game. But give God the leftovers and pocket change. I mean, think about it. I got quiet again, Dr. Carter. Hear me this morning. All of us, me, yourselves, all of us should live with grateful joy in what Jesus Christ has done for us. When I was thinking through this, I was thinking about the Westminster Standards. Look at slides 22 through 25. Westminster Standards asks this question. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Highest thing he's supposed to do. The chief end of man, church, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So people say, well, Pastor Jack, 
What does it mean to glorify God? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. How, how do we do that? Well, the standards say it again, slide 23. So what rule or direction has God given you and I to direct you and I as to how we're supposed to glorify and enjoy God? Well, the answer is this. And we've been saying this here for 20 years, Dr. Carter and I. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct you and I as to how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Well, we're, how do we back that up? Well, I'm glad you asked again. Look at slide 24 and 25. Whatever you eat. Now look at this verse. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, or whatever you do, should be done what? What does it say? Right. So ask yourself that. So when I look at this verse, what I'm eating, am I giving glory to God? When I'm drinking, am I giving glory to God? When I'm doing things, are those things that I'm doing right now, throughout each day, things that people are giving God the glory because I am walking in fellowship and obedience with Him? It's easy to gloss over that verse. Or Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in words or deeds. Now look at this verse. This is really tough, church. Whatever you do in words or deeds... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Now, I want you to think about the words you speak. First of all, here's one thing that we need to come clean with and understand. God owns our mouth. Now, think about that. God owns our mouth. Right? So, whatever you do in word or deed. So, think about what comes out of your mouth every day. Is the things coming out of your mouth each day glorifying God? Is the way you talk glorifying God since he owns our talk? Are the things that we're doing each day things that are bringing glory and honor to God? I'm just taking the verses that God has there for you and I, and I'm asking the tough questions and saying, Lord, are there areas in my life that need to be repented of and change needs to take place? so that you are fully honored in the things I say and do. See, that word glory, slide 26, is the word doxa. That's where we get our word doxology from. That word glory has this idea, church, uh, of recognition and honor that belongs only to God, not to us. It, it carries the idea of praise and worship. So what is Paul trying to get across to you and I? How do we take what Paul is teaching us in these scriptures and begin to apply these truths to our lives so we can make the changes we need to make? Because we're supposed to be a peculiar people. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to look crazy to the world in some ways. When they look at us, like, why are... Everybody else is buying the $1.2 million lottery ticket. Oh, if I win the money, oh, I'll be good, God. I'll give you 10%. Or, you know, so think about it. Am I right or wrong? I mean, come on. That's what's going on. Right? How do we apply it? Church, even in the most routine things we each do each day, things like what we eat or things that we do, should be done in such a way that God is being honored. You know, His glory, listen, 
His doxa, His glory, is to be our life commitment. We'd be all burning in hell if it wasn't for Christ. Burning for all eternity. And by the way, when you die in your sins without Christ, there's no pardon. The president can't say, uh, Jesus, let him out now. It's a forever deal. It is appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. There's no do-overs, no second chances, no purgatory. Scriptures are clear. So the purpose of your life and my life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Your life and my life belongs to God. Well, where does it say that? Well, Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Your soul, your body, everything about you belongs to God. Slide 26. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So then, to glorify God means that you and I are to honor Him, praise Him, worship Him. And we are to do this not just on Sundays at church and clap our hands and dance in our everyday moments of our lives. We should be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day throughout the day. We've learned that we honor God when we are faithful and obedient to Him. Here are some other diagnostic questions. Slide 27. As I was hiding under my desk because of my own sin in my life, these are some of the things that came to me. What are the ways in which you and I dishonor Him by the sinful patterns of our life? Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me and try me, O Lord. See if there's any evil way in me, right? So, doing a fearful and moral inventory of my life, are there ways that I live each day throughout each week that dishonor Him? Are there sinful things in my life that I need to change? Because if I'm telling Him I love Him, but I'm going this way, that's lip service. Am I eating and drinking something, or am I putting something in my body that's dishonoring him? Am I sucking down the booze and getting numb in the head all the time, or getting high, or doing the fentanyl and the crack and all the other garbage that's dishonoring them? Because the Bible says, don't you know that your body, your soma, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that you're not your own? I, w I want to make sure as we're looking at this that I don't miss this point. If you guys remember anything about your Old Testament, about the temple, you had the, the, uh, the, over, the overall temple, the Hirion. So you walk through the temple, there's the table of shoe bread, there's the, the court of Gentiles. And, but all the way, church, in the center of the temple, the very center of the temple, the Hirion, the very center, was called the Naos. That's what it was called. It was the Holy of Holies. Why was that important for you to know? Because that's where the priest every year would come in. The priest would come in every year and he would make a blood. He would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? Shh! He would preach in the Ark. He would put the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? That's all right. Let's keep on. I'm not going to let the devil interrupt this. Listen to me. I'm giving you the Word of God. Okay? Okay. 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 All right. 
You're interrupting our service. Okay. Okay. Right. Thank you. Others that are dishonoring to Christ. Are the words that come out of my mouth dishonoring to him? Okay? So this is a moral, moral inventory for you guys to be thinking about and going through as we dig into the scriptures and apply them to our life. So one of the things I look at this and say, Lord, help me to see the things I need to repent of. What does that mean? The things that I need to forsake, give up, and walk in obedience with you. Any dishonoring patterns. Why? Because God is most glorified, church. When we are most satisfied in him. Here's what John Piper says in slide 26 or 28. Piper says this. Sin is leaving God out of the account in the ordinary affairs of your life. Sin is anything we do that we do not do for the glory of God. That's what he says. So slide 29. Here's some other things. Do we receive our meals each day with thankful gratitude towards God? Amen. Do we come to church and say God is great? And he supplies all of our needs. But then when we leave here and get our checks and run to play the lottery, spend money on foolish things or pursuits. Are, are we living each day revealing to others that there has been this reconciliation between the Lord and self? Answer yourself. Are you saved? Have you placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary? Do you believe when you draw your last breath here, that you will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. The reconciliation happened through the shed blood of Christ. So let's, let's be thinking about how we need to change some of the attitudes and behaviors we have so that God is honored. These questions are not designed to make us feel horrible. They are designed to say, okay, these are things in my life that I need to work on to change. If I say that I belong to him, I want to honor him. They're tough, soul-searching questions. How about verse 12? We're almost done. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, death spread to all men because all sin. Slide 31, NLT. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. So there's a lot to unpack here. There's four elements that you should see there. Look at slide 32. Sin enters the world through Adam. Death entered the world through sin. Death, because we are his progeny. Death spread to all men because all have sinned. Death reigns over all men. Right? They're, they're the four things you see in there. So Paul takes us back to Genesis. Just as through one man sin enters into the world. Now, we need to dig in and clarify what's being said here. Paul is not implying that sin originated here with Adam. We know that sin originated with Satan. Okay, that's important. Consider 1 John 3, 8 and Isaiah 14, 12. The one 
and this is tough again, church. I know this is hard, but it needs to be preached. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from when? The beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. <clears throat> Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. He's talking about Lucifer or Satan there. Okay, so sin enters into the word world through Adam. And I think it's important that we take a moment and look at some of the Genesis proof text here. 35, 36, and 37. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Now again, he's talking to Adam. Adam, from any tree of the garden, Adam, all these fruit trees and wonderful trees in the garden, Adam, you can eat. But Adam, listen, from this tree here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why? For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Adam knew the truth. How about us? We know the truth, and we still sin, right? Adam knew the truth. He knew it. But he allowed himself to be deceived. And that's what happens. You know, when you take your eyes out of Scripture and you take your eyes off of God, all this other nonsense starts to get in there and screw with your head. All the other things. Satan loves to get you questioning God. Right? You know, prior to Adam's sin, man was a glorious creature, church. I like what Thomas Boston says in his book, The Fourfold State. <clears throat> what does Thomas Boston say? Adam was the favorite of heaven. <clears throat> he shone brightly in the image of God. Who cannot but love his own image whenever it appears? His communion and fellowship were with his creator, and that immediately, for as yet there was nothing to turn away the face of God from the work of his own hands. Powerful. And Calvin says this, The prohibition of the tree was a test of obedience. And in this mode, God designed that the whole human race should be accustomed from the beginning to reverence his deity. Do we reverence God's deity, church? You know, when I was going through this sermon and looking at all this stuff, I'm like, Lord, I am amazed that you saved me. I am amazed that you would save a piece of worm like me. So it would seem then that not eating of the tree was the first lesson in obedience. Adam, name all the animals. You can do all this, you know. Just don't eat of that tree. Adam was given only one prohibition from God back in Genesis. And yet the consequences for disobeying God were severe. What happened? Satan comes lies and starts to tempt Eve. What does Eve do? She eats of the fruit. She gives it to Adam. And by the way, Adam was right there. The Bible doesn't say Adam was off at work somewhere tilling a garden. Adam was there. Wasn't protecting his wife. He knew the truth. He's just as guilty. So she eats of the fruit, gives it to her husband, he eats. And that moment, church, boom. Sin now enters the world through Adam. Adam's nature changed. 
from innocence to sinful. And sadly, his sin nature has now been transmitted to all of his descendants. That's you and I. Listen, it wasn't Adam who was deceived, it was Eve. But Adam still had no excuse. He was fully warned not to eat. He was fully aware of what was about to happen when he ate the fruit. Yet he disobeyed God. And what did they do? They found out they were naked and they sewed fig leaves and they hid from God. And we're still hiding behind the fig leaves, aren't we, church? Yes, we are. And Paul makes it clear that sin has a very active role in all of our lives. He says that sin reigns, it can be obeyed, it pays wages, and it seizes opportunity. Sin deceives, it kills, brings disaster and death upon all humanity. And don't we see that happening today? So Adam represents the entire human race. And that clearly descends from him. It doesn't matter. By the way, it's really funny. We're, there's only really one race. Okay? We're all people of color. The melatonin in some of us is darker than the melatonin in some of others, and there's only a couple molecules. We are all the human race. God didn't make a third race or four race, little green men from Mars and all that. There's one race, the human race. So this is talking about all of us. It doesn't matter if I'm Hispanic, Indian, German, Italian, black, white. The scriptures are clear. One race. Okay? So Adam was fully aware he disobeys, deliberately disobeys God. Adam represents all of us. When Adam sinned, all of mankind fell with him. Since his first sin transformed his inner nature, his depraved nature was transmitted to all his descendants. We are all born with the sin nature that we inherited from Adam. That cute little baby grew up to be something, didn't it? <laughs> Picture your mom and your dad. Oh, look at so-and-so, cute and beautiful, and you know, and all that. Fifteen years later, oh my Lord, what happened? Oh boy. Except if you're Dr. Carter, but you know, that's okay. So think about it, church. When Adam became spiritually polluted, all of his descendants became polluted. It's intensified throughout history. Instead of man evolving as a humanist claim, we just see that man is degenerating into greater and more severe sinfulness. And we see that, even the most casual observer of Scripture sees that. Think about this this morning. I'm almost done. An infant does not have to be taught to disobey or to be selfish. It's born that way. Think about it. You know, when, when my children were one, two, three, four, and five, I didn't send them to school to learn how to be a liar. I didn't send them to school how to be a thief or how to talk back to mom and dad, that sin nature was already there, handed down in them. Okay? Think about it. It's part of the fallen nature. Okay? Well, where does it say that, Pastor Jack? I'm glad you asked again. How about slide 38 and 39? What did David say in Psalm 58.3? The wicked are what? Estranged from where? Not when they're two, three, four, from the womb. Those who speak lies, what? Go straight from birth. That, that word estranged in the Hebrew has the idea of turning aside or being profane or even committing adultery. Death through sin, death spreads to all men. Here is the ultimate consequence, and I'm going to have to probably finish up here. Death. 
We need to understand that God warned Adam as we read in Genesis 2.17. He made it clear that eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would result in a death penalty. Made it clear. We've already learned from our last time in Romans that we do not become sinners because we sin. We commit sin because we're already sinners and we are born with that nature. Okay? Slide 39. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, and slanders. So we need to understand what kind of death we receive. Death here is separation from God, church. Adam's first death was a spiritual death, which then followed with a physical death. Ephesians 2.1, right? Slide 40. You, Paul's talking to this church at Ephesus. He says, listen, you guys in Ephesus, listen, you guys need to know something. You were, Aris tense, past tense, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You formerly walked, church at Ephesus, according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that's now working the son of disobedience. How, how else do we see it? Later on, Paul, in chapter 4, verse 18 of Ephesians, says this, Be in dark and scutizo in their understanding, excluded or estranged from the life of God because of the ignorance within them, because of the hardness or the blindness of their hearts. So a person is spiritually dead when they're physically alive. And because he or she is dead in the sins and trespasses, they have a dead spiritual life and they are alienated from God. And listen, has no capacity on his or her own to respond because dead people can't make themselves alive. Okay? This means that a person who is dead in their sins, until the Holy Spirit quickens them and wakes them up, can't see or understand because they are included from the life of God. There was a time when I was very dead in my sins, and you know, I looked at the Bible and I'm like, what's this? Really? This thing's thicker than the wall of my house. What's this thing here? You know? I had no desire back when I was 15 or 16, none. I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't want to believe God, nothing to do with God, absolutely nothing. I was the captain of my own ship. I was the guy who was going to be a famous musician. I was going to do all these things. Me, 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 myself, and I. Okay? It wasn't until God got a hold of me, woke me up spiritually, that when I heard the gospel, I went from an unbeliever to a believer. It's something that he did in me, not something I could do on myself, because I was as dead as dirt before the Lord made me alive. And the same for each one of you. Think about it. When did you come to a saving faith in Christ? When did you fully begin to recognize you are a sinner? You are dead in your sins. You've broken God's law. You've sinned against Him. You use His name as a curse word. All those things. Think about it. When did you come to that place where the Holy Spirit woke you up and all of a sudden you started to, to question things and you started to think through things and you started to hear the Word of God and it didn't sound the way it did when you were dead. Think about that. What happened? You didn't make that happen. God made it happen. You didn't go in and resurrect your soul and make yourself alive spiritually. God did that. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I want you to really think through this this morning, church. 
This is serious business because, listen, everyone here, whether they're a dead atheist or not, knows someday you're going to drop dead. We all know that we have an expiration date. And if everything God says in his word is true, and I know without any doubt in my heart it is, there is going to be a day of reckoning. Every one of us is going to be 2 Corinthians 5.21. We're all going to have to appear before the judgment seat of God to give an account of the sins we did when we were alive here on earth. There's an accounting. Now, what's different for the believer is when that Bema seat day happens, when that great white throne judgment happens, those who had come to faith in Christ, those now are now belonging in Him, that penalty has been paid so they can enter into glory with the Lord. There's a big difference there. And this is serious business. And I know this was a hard message. I know we had some interruptions. Satan didn't want you to hear this. I'm going to say it anyway. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So if you are here today, if you were to die today, get hit by a car, choke, something, something happens and you are no longer alive and you are standing before God and he looks you in the eye and says, why should I let you in heaven? I'm asking you this question. Hear me this morning. What are you going to say? What are you going to say to the Lord when those fiery eyes look at you and those nail prints are there? What are you going to say? The only way that you will end up in glory is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ when he bled and died on that cross to wash away your sin. That is the only way you will ever step into glory. I can tell you right now, I've done enough funerals in 20 years. I told you last week, there's a fundamental difference between the funeral of somebody that belongs to Christ, the whole atmosphere in the room when, I was, when I'm doing a funeral for somebody that belongs to Christ. Everything in the room is different. Even though there's weeping because they're not going to see the person anymore for a while, there's joy in knowing that that person is in glory with the Lord. No more crying. Do you know in Revelation 21 it says there's not going to be any more tears in heaven? Real, think about it. God's going to take that spiritual hanky and he's going to wipe away every tear. Think through that, church. What a beautiful sight. So if you're here this morning, I'm going to encourage you to do something. I'm going to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ this morning as he has been freely offered to you in the gospel. All you need to do is repent and believe. Just repent and believe. Confess your sin to him. Believe that he died on that cross to pay your sin debt in full. Amen? Amen. Now look up and receive the Lord's blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Shake hands. Listen, real quick. I do not want everybody to rush up at the tables. All right? I don't. You're, you're going to. We're going to. Okay, we're going to stay in the line. We're not going to rush everybody at the tables.